Welcome to Will Work for Purpose. My name is Adam. I'm the host of this podcast, and today we'll be interviewing Mark, um, who is a previous guest, and uh, sort of the complement to my last episode, as uh, in the last episode I interviewed Ronald Potts, who converted uh, from uh, atheism to paganism, then to Christianity. I figured to balance that out, I'd interview Mark, who uh, deconverted from Christianity uh, to something uh, which he calls sort of like a, a religion of civics, uh, or civic duty. Um, and so, yeah, without further ado, here is episode 17 of We'll Work for Purpose. Welcome back to Will Work for Purpose. Today we're joined by Mark again, and uh, we'll be talking a little bit about um, true beliefs as we kind of talked in the last episode with Ron about his conversion to Christianity. Uh, we'll be talking with Mark today about his deconversion from Christianity. In our postmortem of our last discussion, which you can watch uh, one of our previous episodes, he had uh, kind of mentioned that he had a sort of uh, maybe usual and unusual upbringing uh, just with his relation to Christianity and conservative politics, um, which then kind of developed and eventually um, led him to uh, uh, no longer being a Christian and then also, also uh, sort of not being conservative in his political views as well. So Mark, how are you doing? Very good, Adam. Thank you for having me back. Awesome. It's, yeah. Uh, it's even better than being a guest on a show is that uh, it's like coming back to the easy, comfortable armchair if I'm a repeat mm. guest. This yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Loved, love to have you on again, uh, obviously. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, if you could just kind of walk us through the beginning of sort of like what your religious upbringing was, like kind of, uh, did you grow up in the States? Sort of like what kind of, what, what sort of was like the general religious attitude of your sort of childhood? Yeah. So, so geographically, it's already, um, it's, it's normal in the fact that I grew up in a small town about a 40 minute drive outside of Seattle. Um, but I was only there about uh, 10, 11 months of the year as a kid. And, and every year in the middle of winter, um, my, my mom, my mother and I would go to New Zealand where she's from. My dad's American. Uh, we would spend you know, like the holidays, like Christmas parade with family in New Zealand. Uh, and then I'd come back. So I was doing that until I was 12. So my entire childhood was spent this back and forth um, from Australia, uh, sorry, from America to New Zealand every year. I'm, I'm now living in Australia. Um, so, so geographically, I was kind of split. And that meant that um, there was never any sense of kind of roots being put down anywhere. I, if I, I kind of got involved in, in something in community, I was then gone for a portion of it. Um, I was also homeschooled, so I didn't have like a, like a team sport or like a, that sport community, uh, that school community to kind of get anchored into as well. Um, so religiously, my exposure to, well, organized religion and, and my parents' views, um, my, my father is, I guess you'd probably call him like a modern day Quaker. It's, he doesn't have like a epistemological doctrine. He hasn't really mm. thought deeply much about religion. I think it's fair to say, I think, I think he would say that himself. Um, he, he says he kind of lives simply, he, he, you know, 
says, if we all follow the 10 commandments, the world would be better kind of thing. So it's like a sort of a simple theology of my, my father. And then my mom was a bit different in that she, um, she got involved with the union church or the called the United movement. It was, um, it's a big thing in the eighties in New York city. Uh, this, this South Korean preacher, uh, Reverend moon, um, came, well, came over, I think, I think he'd come over from South Korea and the main church was based in New York. And, um, you know, it became like a kind of famous cult called the Moonies. Mm. And, um, within the Moonies, it was a, I think a, a quite, um, it was quite evangelical focused. It was a very like outward looking church. They were always trying to convert people and, you know, grow their numbers. And a big thing amongst it was a focus on young people and a focus on, I think, like borderline eugenics. Mm. A, a big thing was like, ah, oh, you know, you young man A should marry young woman B because you'd uh, strengthen the the genes of the human race, and and that's we're honoring God by like getting mm. the human species back to peak condition or whatever. Mm. So, my mom nearly married a guy in the church, um, but then her friends basically kidnapped her and drove her across the country kind of deprogramming her as they went mm-hmm. um there's a lot of that story i don't know uh a lot of the family history i don't know but i let's just say it wasn't the last time that my mother got involved in that type of like cult of personality group um mm. so i've got i've got two influences on me one's very simple <laughs> the mm-hmm. other is a big old gordian knot of complexity mm. yeah so hopefully that lays something of a landscape <laughs> Yeah, I think unfortunately I hear that a lot. Like there are a lot of like people. Um, one of my close friends, his mom, same sort of um, same sort of thing. Uh, like brought up into a cult. Like uh, made her cut ties with her whole family. Like uh, you know, very very like uh, manipulative emotionally, physically, all, all these things. You know, it's like one of the. I I think it's uh, you know it's obviously a great tragedy, especially like. Um, hearing almost how common it was, especially back, you know, in the 20th century kind of thing. Like it seemed to, there seemed to be cults, you know, springing up around sort of like around every corner almost. Um, yeah. So um, uh, were your parents did, like uh, growing up, did they, you know, take you to a conventional church or were they kind of like, was it kind of something you guys just did in the home or uh, just on week, you know, like, you know, maybe for holidays, like Easter and Christmas, you would go to a service or something like that. Or was it like, um, you know, more uh, devout in that sense? Yeah. So there's actually very little exposure to organized religion, um, probably because of that experience from my mother. And then it was probably my father's uh, influence trying to keep her away from groups like that, potentially. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm not 100% sure. They they split when I was 15. So I'm like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions I have about the dynamic that I I haven't asked and I wouldn't 100% trust either answer anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's too complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, the, the only time I started going, like I was exposed to church is when I I decided at about the age, I think about uh, five or six, that I wanted to go to church because mm. I was a homeschooled only child. One of mm. my friends for, through like a homeschooling group, his parents were quite devout. So I wanted to go to church because why? Because there were other kids there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's quite simple for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my exposure starting to go to churches, getting really, really enjoying Sunday school and then getting into uh, later in life, a lot of youth group scene, um, sort of becoming one of these, you know, 14, 15 year old, like, you know, second in command to the youth pastor kind of, you mm. know, 
you know, really enjoying that, like, oh, there's there's a group of people here. There's something of a, uh, a structure or a, a hierarchy. I want to be mm-hmm. part of it. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. want to be down the bottom. And um, my parents approve of it. And I feel very high and mighty and holier than thou. And I'm loving it. This is, this is great. Mm-hmm. So I, I after t- sort of taking myself off to church, I kind of stayed in the church until I was 18. Um, a, a few different churches as I moved around, but I'd always find like the, the friendly, smiling, outgoing, I, I, like early, the early churches were all kind of Baptist in mm-hmm. their tradition. In the Northwest, the Baptist churches there are kind of the most, I, I could have easily been Unitarian, but it was, it was you know, the local Baptist church was where I fell into. So I'd called myself a Baptist after that, although I don't know the differences between a lot of the, the creeds and cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so like uh, growing up, you, you kind of did this on your own. Like your parents were like, more power to you, Mark. Uh, you know, go ahead and pursue this thing that you want to do. And they just kind of yep. sort of left it in your hands. Wow. Yep. Yeah, that... They were comfortable with, you know, it was very, you know, affable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of bland vanilla Christian that I was like, mm-hmm. you know, had fallen in with. So yeah, I think they were they were pretty stoked, and it was my friend's parents that were sort of taking me along all the time, you know. And it was through that church that I then went to the summer camps, you know, put on by like you know whatever Baptist association of the West Coast of the states mm-hmm. trips down to California to go to summer camps and stuff. It's great. Yeah. So so um, I guess at what point were you sort of like, you know, why am I doing this? Or, you know, was it just something that like once you were able to sort of get out there and make friends outside of a setting where uh, like where you like once you realize there are more places you can meet people than like a youth group, like mm. that, did that kind of dissolve your your desire to go to that kind of, uh, you know, group meeting or, you know, that kind of thing? Or was it was it more of like um, over time you just were like, you know, I really don't believe any of this. And like, I just, you know, I'm acting around these people. And so I'm just going to go and do my own thing. The the social aspect did start to weaken my ties to the church a bit, but there was still a, a an underlying, like I did have a, a belief in a faith. Like there, there definitely was an element in me, but the reason that like the particular crowbar that started to wedge away at that was I, was involved with a church that had a, a falling out between like a pastor and a co-pastor. And there was like um, use of church funds was being investigated. And there was like a marriage breakup and it was all stuff that like myself as a 16 year old at that point, I was like aware of, but I wasn't in the room for any of the conversations, but I, I understood enough of the context to be like, Oh, these are people. Of course these are people, but like, you know, they're all the same stuff I'm seeing anywhere in the world i'm also seeing in this church but this is also the place that tells me we can and should and are doing better than this Mm. and like oh okay just sort of reconciling that okay my friends who i have outside of the church who are a lot of fun and yes it's (laughs) it was rural new zealand so there's like let's let's go to a park on the weekend and have a cheeky beer or like let's go skinny dipping at 2 a.m kind of thing like the people who I was friends with that weren't in the church that I felt kind of dangerous for hanging out with weren't doing anything people in the church weren't doing. They were just being honest mm. about it. Mm. Um, so it was kind of like, there wasn't like a big, a big shift there. It was just a slight sort of wedging away at the idea that um, the church community was fundamentally any different than any other group or community of people, mm. uh, which 
which they were honest enough they could say that yes you know we're all we all are people and of course you know we all fall short of our values but they were talking about their values so much that um it was just disappointing to see i guess and then it was a very long drawn out period of over a year of this church eventually did split into two separate churches with different buildings on different sides of town um there's a lot of like home church going on because and it depended, depended on who, who was in the church on Sunday, depended on who was preaching, which mm. I'm like, but if, but they're saying the same things, this is kind of crazy. Um, so it was, a, it was a very human drama that played out then. Um, then uh, I was 17. I went to Vietnam for a month. Um, and in Vietnam, I, I really saw like that, that was where I had the, the, the soul change or like the, the, a lot of my deeper fundamental foundations fell apart because growing up in the States, you know, most of the time seeing myself very much as an American reading a lot of American. Now I know it's Hey geography. It's not exactly history. It's, it's mm -hmm. a lot of consumption of the founding fathers, but you know, heroic bios and the founding myths of the country. Um, I was like, yeah, well, fundamentally, I think I'm proud to be an American. I think America's done more good on the world stage than bad. And then I spent a month in, month in Vietnam and and I could no longer, I, I just, I wasn't sure of anything anymore. After a trip to the American War Museum in Hanoi, seeing, you know, jars filled with malformed fetuses caused by Agent Orange dispersal across Vietnam. Um, yeah. I was just like, uh, there's, I, I, I got really worried about what happens when people are sure of anything mm. and so i kind of like i went from me like i'm not 100 sure about christianity anymore i think it's been a good foundation but i don't really want to be an active member of any church because it seems like and just there you know life happens and i'm just not ready for for life to happen in a place of of uh that's meant to be about higher ideals like i i felt fragile in my faith mm -hmm. and then when i went to vietnam i was like oh okay um it's only when people like are like just convinced of things that they can do terrible things to other people like mm -hmm. maybe if i just like am not devout <laughs> about anything for a while uh that'll be good mm. and so whenever you went to vietnam were you going um as was it just sort of a like a a, a travel like you were just going to travel there or was it you know, so my, other... my mother was there because because uh, my parents had uh, divorced when I was fifteen. She'd mm -hmm. spent the last two years um, in a few different places, but she she'd ended up for a while in, in Southeast Asia, spending some time in Indonesia and then Thailand and then Vietnam. Um, and so she was living in Vietnam. I went over to stay with her uh, just for a, a holiday, basically before I was mm -hmm. going to start university. Um, and it was then that like I was like, okay, actually. I, I wasn't doing tourist things. I was just living. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, I was like trying to like write a travel blog and stuff at the time. So I was like, really just like immersing myself in, in reality there. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, realizing, oh, I've got so many privileges and I've seen the world is like, I, I just, I previously like everything not Western, it seemed really like strange and unknowable and unimaginable. And then I spent mm -hmm. a month living there and I'm like, oh, okay. I understand that, you know, if I was born here, I would live exactly like this and, and believe and like have the same traditions 
<laughs> and like I, I realized that oh, a lot of the things I've I do are because of how I was raised, but I also kind of chose to raise myself that way. So I could choose to raise myself another way. So if I'm the one empowered to make these decisions, what should I choose? And I'm like, none of these are right. <laughs> that, like none's a none's 100% right. So why 100% commit to anything that's imperfect? Mm. And so what, what did it look like? So after you left Vietnam, did you go to New Zealand or back to the States after that? After Vietnam, I went, um, I, I came back to New Zealand, but only for a brief period before going to the States in 2008. Um, so I, I was born in 1990, so it makes it quite easy to work mm -hmm. out this, this the, timeline. The timeline. So, yeah, yeah, round numbers. Um, spent a bit of time in, in Vietnam there, you know, kind of becoming a little jaded with, or, or losing how I saw the world. Mm. Spent a bit of time in New Zealand again went to the US and then mm. it was like the day I arrived was the day that Lehman Brothers collapsed. Like I, I came off the plane and I saw a newspaper and the, the headline was like, you know, Wall Street, it's over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything's going downhill. So you became pretty much ultimately disillusioned with like the, you know, the Western establishment at wholesale, uh, you know, you know like... just just the big ones, you know, just religion, mm -hmm. economics, um, foreign policy. Yeah, you pretty much got Nothing yeah. It, you you did you call this a crowbar event or something? Uh, I, the, the first it, one, like the the dissolution of the church, was kind of like loosening the nails with the crowbar. It, a little. Bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see how you know you you had everything sort of shattered, your whole paradigm. You know, obviously, like you know, very few people could experience what you experienced and not draw sort of similar conclusions. You know. About, I'd hope so. Yeah, you know, like it's one of those things that's like you can't help but have the uh, one psychologist calls those like something like uh, an awakening, a moment. Uh, his name is Irv Yalom, but like it's just one of those things that like makes you, uh, you 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 have sort of like a jumping off point of that, like where um, it can either change you or it can be, you can basically become apathetic and un be left unchanged by seeing stuff like what you saw, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the children affected by agent orange and just the, the, you know, the damage caused by, you know, a war that was fought over there. And also like, just, you know, just general suffering, you know, uh, from a non-American perspective, basically. Um, yeah. So once you were, once you were essentially, uh, what would you say, uh, have the scales rip from your eyes in some sense like yeah uh, lost of all of my preconceptions my my structure for how i saw the world mm. yeah. what what was was it disorienting like were you able to sort of write yourself were you able to find some sort of solid ground to land on a community like what exactly did yeah. it look like when you got back to you got back to the states and like literally i mean you've become completely sort of like you know you sort of lost all these things that you've been working with for you know 18 years let's say yeah, the um the the US period was a was a dark one. It was uh I had arrived in I think uh gonna you're gonna forget exactly when it might have been like June or something. And I was planning to stay for a year and then return to New Zealand to start um a, th a three year university degree. And it was gonna be like in you know in, in business and I was gonna, you know, just go and you know start you know, just be a normal member of society productive, fully functioning member of society. And, and instead in that year when I was going to like have a job and like get to explore around the Pacific Northwest a bit and spend some time with friends I hadn't seen since I was a kid uh, was instead ripped away. And I was like one of these people that was like 
painting fences um, because there was, there was nobody hiring. Um, you know, I, I arrived, I, I had been a manager at a, at a cell phone shop, you know, in New Zealand and I, you know, I had done a, already like a business diploma. Like I, I arrived quite skilled, but there was just nothing going on. So I, I cut that trip short to the States after six months and came back to New Zealand, went back to work, started uni. And yeah, I was really unmoored. Um, but it was quite, I was very lucky that I started, when I started at university, I took a very kind of broad first year. A lot of, mm. I did you know, a couple electives in psychology, a couple electives in um, media studies. I, I was very, very, very curious. And I wanted to know like, okay, if you think very strongly about something, any, you know, anybody, so like studying the psychologists or studying like, you know, film auteurs, I wanted to get into the mind of someone who thought very strongly about something and, and why, and, and how they maintained that over, over decades, because I hadn't been able to get to the age of 20 with the beliefs that I'd held super, super strongly. A, a big kind of um, example of this was, you know, I arrived in Vietnam at 16. I had read the biographies of every US president, listened to thousands of hours of books on tape. I knew the Revolutionary War, Civil War history, like the back of my hand. My, my parents had taken me to the battlefields when I was 12 to, to see places like Concord, like uh, I remember like walking down this the sunken road at um, Antietam and just crying because I, I knew that tens of thousands of Americans had died there over the course of three days. And like I loved America or the idea mm -hmm. of America. So I arrived in Vietnam at the start of this month and I'd tell everyone, you know, as a proud American, but then Vietnamese people would ask me like, oh, where are you from? And over the course of those four weeks, by the end of it, I was saying Canadian before they even asked because mm. I was no longer comfortable with the real world ramifications of what America meant to people as recently as 1979. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, no, I, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> Damn, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, instead I, I kind of went searching, you know, mm -hmm. I started my twenties off with like a, I, I don't have, you know, Mark, what are you? I'm nothing. I'm not an atheist. I'm not angry about anything. I just, I have no opinion on what you think about the world. I'm mm -hmm. curious about it, but I, mm -hmm. I've got no place of judgment to come from about it. Mm. And that, so, um, I, I, I can imagine that be, that's a pretty like helpful way to sort of uh, not only be in your 20s, but just to tackle ideas in general. Um, were, any, were there anybody like your former friends or anything where they like upset with you? Like, you know, like what Mark is now, a, what I'm not like he, he's a religious nun, which basically just means you don't identify with any religion. And like, well, you, you're not, you know, you do not, you don't care about America anymore. Like were there, were there people upset in your life with the way that you were sort of like developing uh, these new ideas um, or at least the way that you rejected your old ideas? Mm. Um, a lot of my friends from that time moved the same way, or they at least had, had sort of tempered their own view, like even the super passionate ones I was like in youth groups and stuff with who would like, um, a lot of my friends from that time in my life, sort of pre 16 years old, also mellowed. But then um, I'd made a bunch of friends when I was like 17, 18, I was doing this diploma at, a, at an institution where um, it was it was a Christian college. 
and the the point of this college was to train street evangelists and and out like you know is is very very evangelical and so within that group of people i i got along great with them because i was very curious and i'd sit and listen to them for ages and i knew all the biblical stories and and but i also knew a little bit about um history from other perspectives and so we we'd have great great conversations and they didn't try to convert me and i didn't try to tell them they were they were dumb or wrong so um but they weren't my friends from the time I was devout. So I had relationships with people who um, would have been upset if they'd known me before. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the people I'd known before had also like, they, they were okay with the change. Um, and in the, the few who in hindsight weren't and were like, yeah, um, yeah, go, go enjoy uni. I was like, I was leaving that area. So it was easy. And like, they're like, yeah, let's not keep in touch. I'm, I'm, disappointed you've moved away from your faith or whatever uh it was only a couple years later that i saw that they also moved away from their faith Mm -hmm. and they were acting a little bit in in rejection of what they felt themselves and were scared of Mm -hmm. um and i wasn't i wasn't hurt by that at the time or anything luckily um the the american nationalism stuff it's like well it was a very good time for america's stock in the world to kind of plummet and readjust Mm -hmm. because like no one was looking at America during and post the GFC mm-hmm. with any kind of um, envy, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so, so there wasn't. So you had this new group, and they were kind of more accept, uh, accepting. Um, were uh, did your sort of inquiries lead you to uh, develop new friendships, like in new groups? Like, were you able to find, uh, you know, uh, sort of like a new. Uh, sort of post to hang your hat on like a new thing to believe in or a new sort of unifying ideal or value system to sort of plant yourself in or are are you still sort of in flux in that sense well funnily enough that that school that i went to um and this is it was just for a one-year diploma this is well before i went to like a proper large university in new zealand for my proper degree it had the evangelical side but then it also had a big animation school you know 3d mm-hmm. computer animation so it was i think it was originally a church this church then started a regional tv channel this regional tv channel had a very popular animated kids tv show and they couldn't find enough animators to work on it so they started a school to teach animation and then also an evangelical <laughs> evangelism mm-hmm. school on the side and there's a very small business program and that was what i was doing so a lot of my friends were in into computer animation and a lot of those friends are now at Weta and they're working on Marvel films and Mm. they've all done really well into the industry. And so I, I became sort of the businessy, the tag along with a lot of the animators. And so they were taking part in like, you know, 48 hour filmmaking festivals and making student films. And I was so into working on that stuff and like doing a bit of voice acting and, and just helping out wherever I could. And through computer animation, I started working at the studio that was at the school. And then through that, I started just really getting into software companies and the startup scene, which was starting to get really exciting in you know, 2007 in New Zealand. And um, uh, it was, yeah, it, my, my kind of, my new religion, shall I explain that, became like startups and social media and, and business. Mm. Um, but in that, like, there was no, 
it was the 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 thing I cared the most about that was bigger than me. I I guess you know to to explore that idiom of like what is your religion? It's like you know what is that thing that you what is that that structure that you put on your life that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it it became became that for me. Startups and business. Yeah, there's a, oh, oh, let me see if I can think of it for a second. Um, yeah, there's something like, uh, I've been reading this book by a guy named, uh, well, he, this guy uh, who was a lecturer at Berkeley, his name is Hubert Dreyfus. He's like an existential philosopher, and uh, he co-authored it with this other uh, guy, his name is Sean, I can't remember his name, but the book is called uh, All the Shining Things, and essentially kind of talks about that uh, that process of, uh, orienting yourself in a secular age, uh, finding values that you can sort of um, help you because your value systems sort of help you go in a direction, you know, like you you sort of like because it helps you orient your decisions, you know, you need a value system to help you differentiate between one thing and another, you know, because like depending on what you value will dictate your choice. You know, if you value family more than you value uh, wealth and well, you're not going to take the job that makes you work 120 hours a week over the yep. one that's going to, you know, allow you to see your family, um, you know, every night, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so like, um, yeah, so it sounds like that you were able to kind of sort of develop this system of values from the sort of like business environment. Um, did mm-hmm. that ever, did that ever like um, lead to any sort of like burnout or anything like that? I know a lot of people who get into that sort of like, uh, what would you call super entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mm-hmm. mode kind of thing? Like they get... They get burnt out very quickly, often, like in that startup scene, especially, I imagine like there's a lot of pressure to succeed and like, it's just kind of like a high stress environment uh, just by virtue of the stakes that are in place for a lot of people. Um, Does that ever like lead to burnout or sort of further disappointment? Or was that something that really sustained you for a long period of time? I got very, very lucky in that I I was a, a wannabe entrepreneur but I got the chance to be ringside to a real entrepreneurial journey and be, be part of it, but not be the one in that driver's seat. So um, I was going through university. I was doing a, a business IT degree. And then I got a internship at a little accelerator program that the university had where they had startups that were like, you know, getting to use uh, free or, or very cheap office space. <clears throat> basically a nest to start businesses out of. And one of those companies in that incubator where I was an intern offered me a job, the kind of job I'd be lucky to get as a graduate. And this is before I even graduated. So I said, yep, I'll do that. Um, Actually just in the news the last couple of weeks that that little company got acquired by a much bigger American company. This is, this is now Mm -hmm. uh, nearly 10 years on, but um, you know, they, they've had now their, their exit. So it's a, it's a happy ending moment for some of them, but I saw the, um, the entrepreneur of that company really go through burnout. Um, mm. He'd suffered a, a family tragedy while the company was getting started, and he um, missed out on spending a lot of time with a with a family member who who passed away in the middle of that entrepreneurial journey. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's not great as well. So I, I, I've since then quite enjoyed always having a job that there is a clear delineation. There is, mm-hmm. there is boundaries and then doing hobbies and things I enjoy and things that are productive outside of that. Um, my biggest problem then is, is leaving enough personal space, but at least it's not, um, 
I'm not leaving enough space for that, that hobby or passion to eat up my entire day, just my free time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there's always the job that, you know, is, is paying the bills and keeping food on the table. Um, Mm. Yeah. It's seeing that in, in my early twenties, it, it prevented me, I think from, because the, this, the same, um, the same side of me that was able to get really into church life and, you know, wanting to be a youth pastor, being kind of on that track could have easily taken me super deep into another place. Um, probably in the last five years that the closest I've got to that level of engagement or I'd, I'd say you know, fanaticism but, you know, it's like, of like, of, of, of commitment to one particular idea or, or group or way of thinking. Um, the deepest I've been is, is in climate change engagement. Um, it'd be even there. I've, yeah, I've, I've had burnout in that I've now found a healthier space. Um, so yeah, I, hopefully I've kind of used the, the post organized religion and the fact that it's Christianity is just kind of an accident of my birth and where I spent time. Also, it, you know, as a culture, it wasn't too hard to walk away from, which I'm grateful for. It's not like, um, uh, it doesn't say a religion on my passport, which, you know, my wife who's German mm. doesn't have that, you know, her passport says her religion, mm. <laughs> which, which introduces some interesting yeah. <laughs> concepts. In society. Yeah. I didn't know that there were some version, some like documentation that actually signified what sort of like religious practice you sort of ascribe to. Yeah. You know, the, and many like you, it's not even like a, a standard sort of like a tick box on a lot of like forms you fill out just in general, like in like in the like American government system. Like if you go register your car or register to vote or whatever, like you don't yeah. tick a box for, you know, I'm a Jainist, a monk, a Sikh, whatever. Like you don't, yeah. you don't, you don't tick religious boxes typically, you know. Um, so yeah. that, that is interesting. Is she, um, does your wife share some of the similar views that you have uh, towards organized religion? Um, are you kind of like united yeah. on that front or is there, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, we haven't really been, had to have many conversations about it because we brought, we, we do agree on the broad strokes of like, it's, it's okay for any, like, it's okay to be religious and, you know, down the track for parents and if our child, you know, is, is religious, it's like, absolutely fine um the the only concern we have is that when when your belief in something becomes complete you can justify anything against it um and uh so uh, yeah my wife didn't didn't uh grow up religious except for kind of the traditional religion of you know mass on holidays and everything mm-hmm. it was more a family tradition than it was in, in my family mm-hmm. um but yeah like i i guess you know it, down the track if if my if my views change i've got the delightful thing of like I, I i don't have to change tack anymore my current trajectory is standing still on the spiritual track i'm not pulling in any given direction except for um if if i was asked to fill out my religion on one of those cards, I would either write in civic. My religion is like civic engagement and I care about my neighbor because mm-hmm. they're my neighbor. And like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like the the not libertarian version of Ron Swanson where it's like all I care about is the people in my community because they're in my community regardless of anything else. Mm. 
Um, I, I guess that kind of that kind of answers. I was going to ask another question, essentially along those lines, where like, if you um, so you you moved from uh, sort of uh, you know that you became disillusioned with the whole sort of Western establishment, then you kind of moved into this uh, sort of like um, business is is sort of the the thing that I'm pursuing and 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 yeah. uh, this entrepreneurial entrepreneurial sort of like role environment that kind of like sustained you for a while, uh, and then you kind of mentioned now that you're you're sort of being sustained by um, you're orienting yourself around rather uh, climate change, climate change activism, and that kind of mm-hmm. um, sort of um, what would you say, like community or, you know, uh, way of thinking or something like that? Um, yeah, definitely elements of like sort of resilience and disaster preparedness and extreme weather preparedness and be living in a place like Australia where, um, you, know, you know, the answer would be the same if I lived in California. It would be like, you know, well, fires are just a thing now, mm-hmm. just a, like a season. And so that, that, that should take up like, you know, if someone's devoutly Christian, it's like, excellent. You, you spend at least X amount of time practicing your religion every week. Like I spend at least X amount of time uh, talking to neighbors, doing community resiliency plans, engaging with my council to be like, how do we prepare when there's natural disaster? That's um, mm. you know, like, yeah, like civics as a religion. Mm. I see. Yeah. Okay. So that makes a bit more sense. Like uh, in terms of like, the sort of would you say ritual and rite that you kind of take take part in you know like mm. there, there's sort of like this idea that essentially um that ritual is sort of like embedded into the fabric of our nature in some sense that mm. that that mm-hmm. we will ritualize pretty much anything um uh, regardless of whether you have a you know would you say a spiritual a spiritual faith a supernatural faith a secular faith or or otherwise you know there are certain things that become sort of ritualistic you know like uh, gathering for dinner on Sunday nights or whatever you happen to, you know, like there's certain things that become um, sort of like these rituals that are just practice. Uh, some people don't practice them so sacredly, but obviously like there are some things that are, uh, you know, implicitly sacred, you know, like if you, uh, let's say you, you ask your, you say, um, you tell your wife, let's, let's go on a date and mm-hmm. you just don't show up for that. Like, or, you know, that, that's sort of like almost like a, the, the, the date or that sort of, um, dinner with your loved one is like sort of a sacred event that could be, you know, if violated, she would be obviously upset, you know, for multiplicity of reasons, you know, like yep. you asked me out and then you stood me up kind of thing, you know, like we're married, but yep. seriously, like what the heck, you know? Um, yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess um, you, so you now have this sort of like, I guess you consider it like a civic religion or you sort of like have these uh, sort of civic duties that are now you're like, what would you say your mass in some sense like you go to council yeah, just as someone might go yeah. to a church event okay um, i'm definitely aspiring to that so there's a weird thing of like you can be if you were christian and you're living in in tehran and you weren't allowed to practice your religion i'm in some ways a christian living in a in a, host, a hostile to christians country because i'm living in australia as a non-australian and i mm. am kind of blocked a little bit not so much actively, but more in my um, in my own perception of how active I can get. So mm. one of the reasons I'm super excited about moving home to New Zealand in a couple months, which I'm getting the privilege to do, is I'm a citizen and um, mm. I, I I can fully take part in those, those systems. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those rites and rituals and traditions again. Mm. And um, yeah, very excited about that. 
Yeah, I see. Yeah, so you're kind of like, I, I, I totally understand that sentiment of sort of being in, uh, in, I guess, maybe would you call it non-native land and like you just kind of feel mm. being an outsider in that sense, like how much should I contribute to someone else's system? Like, because you also have this uh, disillusionment with the Western state and the Western, uh, you know, that's ca that's capital W Westernism sort of to go mm. in and impose yourself on someone else's environment, you know. I'd say colonial, yeah. Or you could call it colonialism you know um yeah but and so um uh yeah i could understand that hesitation because i too have that like if i go into uh wherever i like for instance like if i start a new job like and i can immediately see points of where like oh you know look this is not optimal this is not optimal we should do we should do these things and it should be better yeah. or whatever um i would be even hesitant to do that just even like uh in in, in, a, in a work environment until i sort of got the ropes underneath me and kind of really, you know, became part of that environment or society kind of thing. Yeah, um, that's right. In some sense, that's also, you know, it's sort of like, uh, in some sense, uh, that's a little bit, I, I would consider that conservative, actually, in that sense where you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to smash things that you don't understand. And that's sort of like the general classical conservative ideals, like, we don't smash things we don't understand. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, but uh, I guess this might be an interesting time to kind of move partially from the religious dialogue as I think mm. we've kind of succinctly sort of tied up your 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 past experiences <laughs> and yeah I mean unless there are other things that you want people to know about your your journey from you know Christianity and and sort of would you consider yourself a nationalist back then or certainly patriotic at the very least like definitely definitely patriotic like nationalist mm. wasn't wasn't really a word on the radar and like if I could definitely I have been really distraught by the last four years in America because not because of what's happened, although I am distraught by that, but I'm distraught by remembering myself as a young person and realizing that I could have easily been a part of that. Um, I, I, I see, you know, a, a mob and I don't think, Oh, what a bunch of crazy people. I think, Oh, they're, there but for some lucky coincidences and timing and situation go i mm. um so yeah I, th I think it does sum it up nicely i just i just want to say that like i i don't hear of many like the the famous atheists or the famous non-religious folks are of course angry about it and they they think everything about organized religion is stupid and oh everyone's sucker and i'm like actually I am so different from that. I, I like what we just saw, said about rites and rituals. I'm like, yeah, that like, it's a hugely important thing. And we always create those things. If they don't exist, we make them like, it's a huge part of who we are as human. I think all of the um, like relig religions are completely understandable. And I, I don't, yeah, I don't begrudge anyone who takes part and takes comfort and value and, gives that that's their form of giving back to their community is through their their religion i think that's excellent and keep it up i'm not mm. gonna talk you out of it yeah. and if i and if i could then then, mm, then maybe you shouldn't have been <laughs> like, um yeah so that that's kind of the religious side so um politically mm. what is conservative like mm -hmm. conservative to conserve to 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 act uh, in moderation and and um, elements of like frugality to it and staying within your means, it's like, yeah, I'm a huge fan of of small C conservative in that meaning. I just think, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
there there's never a time looking back at political history of any country there's never a time where where political parties stop being about what they were about and become oh, sure. something different yeah. and they need to be renamed and changed and and we might be seeing that you know, happening in America right now yeah. which is exciting yeah because yeah. it could be honest again yeah i was speaking with someone a friend of mine um who studies political science and he was talking about this too and he was actually kind of hopeful in the idea that we would uh, be able to fracture our party system, you know, um, because a, apart from a, a political party system being like there, there, there are basically two really bad uh, numbers that you could have. You could have a one party political system and that's very bad. The second worst is a two party political system, and, which is what we have right now. And, and obviously the more you add, the better it gets in that sense. And so like um, as, as weird as it would be to start, I, I believe you're referring to like the America first party that Trump was trying to start or something like that. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in some sense, he was hopeful uh, that that would happen because then it would sort of, I don't want to, I guess it would, it would sort of like quarantine off, uh, you know, all these either these sort of far right um, mm -hmm. um, ideologues in that sense, you know, and then if something could happen similar yeah. for the left, where like we could sort of, we could, we could better define parameters in some sense, you know, like, okay, yes, you know, like yep. the people in the middle, they can sort of deal amicably with each other and sort of like have a rational dialogue and like, they're not going to storm Capitol yep. Hill and they're not going to yeah. light things on fire and whatever, like it's yeah. going to be, um, you know, mutual, civil, democracy can flourish, that kind of thing. And then we can sort of like, yep. Um, what would you say, pathologize the sort of fringe groups, you know, um, and that kind of thing. If we need to, but I, I guess mm -hmm. like the, the good mental model of it, and it's a great thing for audio, right? But you imagine mm -hmm. a spectrum, a left-right spectrum, and mm -hmm. the way that the Democrats and Republicans are is not that there's a line halfway through that spectrum and everything mm -hmm. to the right is Republican, everything to the left is Democrat. Right. Instead, they are two spectrums on top of each other where they're like two ships passing in the night, though, and you've got a lot of Democrats who don't realize they're they're quite a lot more conservative than the Democratic Party. And the same is true of Republicans. You get right. Young Republicans these days, I would probably be a young Republican if I still lived in the States because of private property rights and taxes and all this stuff. But I'm 100% in support of everything that Biden is doing on like executive actions on his first day. But if the Democratic, like I'd be pissed as a centrist Democratic voter who like I, I voted for this this centrist guy and first day he's taking all the progressive action. Mm -hmm. I, I love that he is because of climate aspects, but mm -hmm. like, yes, if, if, if there was a, a multi-party system in America, mm -hmm. things could be a lot more honest and you'd actually understand that, Hey, I got the Democrat in power, but they're only going to vote the way you wanted them to 30% of the time because the Democratic Party is gigantic. Right, right. <laughs> and they have to represent the whole thing. Right. There, there sort of is a sort of like a breakdown in language where like, you yes. know, you can have different people. You, you can say, oh, I'm a Democrat. But like, what do you mean by I'm a Democrat? Like you could mean that you hold like nine out of 10 party values or you hold, you know, or, or even if there are, clear, you know, I'm not even sure that they're clearly defined party values, like in terms of like right and left or Republican and Democrat, mm -hmm. you know. And so there, you know, um, it, it's sort of like that. It, there's, 
you know, and I've been reading a lot about this too, where essentially like there's just a breakdown in language in general, you know, like you can see it more easily in certain terms, you know, rather than other terms, you know, for instance, like the most common one to point to is like the word love. Like um, if mm -hmm. I say, I love you, does that, am I using that in the Hollywood romantic sense? I'm using that in like the deeply religious and spiritual sense. I'm using that in sort of like, uh, you know, like, like in a hey, pejorative bro, I love yeah, you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it, it, it's hard to know what people mean, you know, um, and this one uh, psychiatrist talked about that sort of like in some sense, like the, the breakdown in communication is sort of the, the beginning uh, sort of, what would you say, chink in the armor of a system that's about to dissolve in some sense, you know, yeah. but he, he was writing yeah. 60 years ago, you know, so, but, but I mean, I, I would argue that it's probably gotten worse since he wrote in that sense, like a lot of people, you can't just like, obviously seen in the political system, like you say the word Democrat and it almost doesn't mean anything in some senses, you no. know, because it's like, or it um, provokes a, an emotional response when mm. when parties are about I don't even know what they're about anymore. They've mm -hmm. they've become just just omnivorous machines in the states. So so you know for for your listeners who are there in the states, you've got mm -hmm. an amazing opportunity right now where people are seriously like there is no denying the issues with the two party system, and like it's very very apparent that that's broken. And so it's like well. Here's a good opportunity with full respect to the very good idea of the American system that was started in 1776, although parties weren't on the agenda then and it wasn't in the, the imagination of where things might go. Like, like can, can, we, can we have enough respect for reality that we don't enshrine systems that were never designed for, for life in the 21st century? I guess it's just a little bit of like, okay, it's okay to like, jump, I don't know, it sounds trite to say embrace mm -hmm. change, but to like, just, just, yeah, be, be willing to step away from, from the, the things we, we hold because we really desperate, like we desperately want them to be true rather mm -hmm. than them being true. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, one of my favorite authors writes about uh, this, and I can't remember which essay, but he he says um, he's talking about this in sort of the religious from the religious point of view. Um, uh, he says uh, to force all of your uh, your data and all of your um, arguments and information and everything that you're um, you're observing to fit your conclusion, um, which is, uh, he was saying, um, if you're doing this all and and somehow everything you say comes out. Um, pointing to the thing that you already believe in, the Christian God, then mm -hmm. you're offering to um, the author of truth the unclean uh, sacrifice of a lie. Um, because mm -hmm. it, it, it's not the case that all of your data is going to support your conclusion. Like, that's just simply not how it works, you know? Like, and, it, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, you have to put on your, 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 uh, your sort of, your, your big boy britches for lack of a better phrase, you know, <laughs> and just sort of like uh, come to terms with that, you know, everything that you're saying or everything that you're looking at isn't going to support the thing that you, you come to the table believing already in some cases, yeah. you know, like it doesn't mean what you're believing is uh, wholesale wrong. It just means that mm -hmm. you have some work to do and understanding, you know, where exactly you've gone wrong, you know, like, yeah. or what, what you're misunderstanding about the picture, that kind of thing, you know, like it, it, you have to be really self-critical and examine uh, what's going on and you can't force everything into this sort of, um, there's this old guy, his name was uh, 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 Proc Proc 
Crusties. He was the racker, you know. So like in medieval times, you know the yep. the machine. Yeah. So it's called it's called a Procrustean bed, you know. And so the idea is that you stretch every idea to fit one bed, essentially. Like it's uh, a one. Uh, so you yep. you know um, you can't be like Procrustean and try and stretch everything to fit your point of view, you know. And so um, yeah, I totally agree um, with you in those um, sentiments. Um, I guess. Um, to sort of bring it back a little bit, unless you had another thought uh, to offer sort of about that. I mean, definitely tons of thoughts about medieval torture devices, but sure. I'm happy to keep moving. Sure. Um, I, I guess kind of um, because along with your sort of religious, what would you call deconversion or um, sort of reassessment, uh, you also uh, underwent like stepping uh, away. Mm -hmm, stepping away. Uh, you also kind of did that uh, politically as well. So like, I, I kind of remember this one point in like in her postmortem, like at the end of our last discussion where you just talked about listening to Rush Limbaugh for like, you know, an un five hours a day. As a yeah. Young person. Yeah. Right. Like I can only imagine, uh, you know, I, I, one, I was not aware that much when I was a kid, like to even think about listening to something like that, you know? Um, but how, you know, how did that, how did listening to sort of like this, you know, what would you say? Right wing pundit five hours a yep. day sort of affect you. And then like, how, what, did you sort of step back politically in the same sort of timeline that you stepped back religiously as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty much it mirrored it. Um, and I think to try to make it rhyme, to make it even pithier, like I, I mistook entertainment for, I'm not even sure if this is right meaning of the word, but sort of ecumenical fact. Mm. Like I, I'm, I mistook, um, you know, a, a shock jock who had to fill three hours a day of audio. And then here I was, I listened to, yeah, honestly, three hours a day, nine to 12 in the morning, and then nine to 11 at night, they ran the best two hours of the three from the morning. And, and for many, many weeks, months in a row, that's what I was listening to on my, my headphones and my tape deck. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. such an audio nerd. I, and I started with, um, 570 KVI AM Seattle political talk radio. And it was a conservative radio show channel. Um, and I, I had built up uh, through what was basically sand. Like a lot of these, you know, there's like a couple good, good show hosts. There's one guy, Michael Medved, who was a, like, he's, he's like a history teacher. And he would talk about history and world history, American history through a lens of conservatism and sort of, you know, exploring things a little bit, but the, the summation was always, and, and that's why small governments are good. Individualism is good. And America is good. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that by listening to all this stuff, I built up, a, I thought a pretty fully fleshed out model for the world. I kind of, I thought I understood it, even though I was a child and I would not experienced the world or visited it, but I had opinions. Mm -hmm. um, and then when that started to fall, it kind of all fell. Um, I definitely had a moment, a little bit of like, well, what if I just, what if I jump over to the other side and become like an angry liberal now? And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't want to buy wholesale the whole package anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I should really start on some better building blocks. So it was a lot of just going back to first principles and, and, uh, and going back further than, than the last 200 years. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I very much enjoy how much of sort of classical philosophy you bring into things. And, and like, for me, it was definitely like reading about the, um, uh, I'm going to forget all the names now, but, but just 
sort of the history of uh, the Middle East. I did a couple of papers at mm-hmm. university about um, the, the history of Islam because mm-hmm. it's cool history. Uh, and it's also like, it's the newest major world religion. So we have better sources. Mm-hmm. And of course, all the societies that Islam spread through, you know, the written word was was much more common <laughs> than right. in 2000 um, mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I definitely I I have built up I think a a, str- a much stronger quilt for the world, and it's um it's very easy because of sadly because of the American political situation and dynamic and um, Murdoch media and not to scapegoat just one thing, but there's a lot of dysfunctional mm-hmm. elements that because I am very much concerned and alarmed with climate change, I am kind of. I find my bedfellows as liberals, mm-hmm. but in a lot of things, I think I'd, I think I'd get along with a, a 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s era Republican mm-hmm. really well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it's tough. It, it's we we want labels on things. We want we want words mm-hmm. that are that everyone understands. We want to be able to apply them, mm-hmm. but. I'm not I, I I'm not comfortable with atheist. I'm not comfortable with a lot of labels because um. I kind of I haven't come to them in the normal way. I guess. Mm. Yeah, I, fit. I know exactly what you mean. Um, I'm aversive to labels as well. And one of my favorite philosophers, he uh, he has this famous quote. Uh, he says, "To label me is to negate me." And so, mm-hmm. like in some sense, like I, I agree. Like I, I don't tell. Like if I meet someone for the first time, I very rarely tell them. Like I don't. I, I do think labels can be useful in some sense, like it's, it, you know, because it's like, I don't want to be like a mist or a vapor where it's like, oh, well, he never assigns a view to himself. Like, well, how can I, how can I talk with him? Because if I, if I want to have a debate, like I have to label my position, like uh, if I'm in the, if I'm in the affirmative or the negative, like I have to do it to, to some degree there, you know, but like generally speaking, you don't have to say, you know, like, well, these are the, these are the, these are the, you know, like I'm not printing like a little, with a little, you know, label marker all over me, like you know, each, each type of thing that I think I am, you know, like, because it's very unlikely that even that I'm not even the things that I think I am, you know, like if I think I'm a certain, you know, like I may think that I'm a whatever, you know, a classic liberal or Republican or whatever, you know, like, but, but, you know, I may not even have the first inkling of what ideals someone like that might actually hold, you know, like, uh, and I may actually be closer to some neoliberal or, you know, whatever, you know, like it's one of those things that's like, um, uh, it, it's one of those things that's like when I think about personality tests too. So like very, there's some pop, pop, um, what'd you say? Uh, pop personality tests that run around out there, like the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram yeah. and, and in, uh, clinical settings, they're not used because those, those, those tests in particular only tell you what you think about yourself. And like yes. in a clinical environment, it's not actually very helpful to know what you think about yourself. It, it, if you're trying to diagnose like a personality disorder, you know, yeah. um, so like it's kind of like it's kind of like that you know like it's it's like yeah okay I could label myself and sometimes I do just for the sake of conversation but oftentimes I don't you know um just just because it it seem it would seem in some sense dishonest to label myself and also it it's sort of like um it creates this like in group out group boundary line immediately if you yeah. say like oh look I'm a I'm this and uh, I already know you're that so look we're gonna have a rough go because um, people who are this and people who are that they never get along. Um, you know, um, yeah, so, um, 
So you're kind of just sort of like in this, you're still f figuring it out in that sense, or like you, you think you'll probably yeah. sort of be in this sort of, um, what would you call it? Like, uh, I don't want to call it like a, a nebulous void because I don't think that's what it is because you have definitive values, you know, like yeah. there are things that you hold, you know, to be valuable at least. Um, um, so I'm is, personally, I, I've stepped away from, I've, I've personally like closed the door to spirituality in my life. And in, mm -hmm. you know, when I open that later on, I'm not sure where that'll lead me. Um, but for right now, as, as you know, replacing spirituality with with civics i'm like i'm more able to function in the world and um have an influence on be influenced by be a better member of society as a open but unaffiliated member um mm. so you know not not a christian not an anti-christian mm -hmm. not a muslim not an anti-muslim um, you know, like I, I will sit and if anyone wants to tell me about their religion, I'm super happy to listen and I'll have questions and, and I'll learn a lot from them. And that might, you know, influence me down the track, but I definitely see spirituality as, as, as a nebulous thing. And then it's the, the manifestation of it as kind of like you're, you're selecting off a menu, how you want to express that whatever spirituality means to you as a person. And for, for me, I've had moments where I felt very spiritual and I, you know, I've been involved, you know, in a church speaking in tongues and feel like, you know, what I would call the Holy spirit over me and all this. And I, I think in hindsight, that was me as a homeschooled only child, really high on connection with mm. other people and, mm -hmm. and just, yeah, like like having a feeling of like, ah, oh, yes, this is this is the way we express how happy we are to be here right now. And I'm this mm. happy. So mm. I am expressing it this way. I I don't actually feel like this was a particularly a particular spiritual entity acting on me in such a way. I think um I think they're all they're all stories that are hugely important that we tell ourselves and we tell each other through our groups and i'm i hope i hope it doesn't come across as taking anything away when i say that they're all just stories but isn't but isn't that incredible that story has that much power to to change the world and change us but ultimately yeah we're all overall only people with the mm. ability to tell stories and we mm. get so much done yeah well, um, that's, we're just over an hour. And I think that, I mean, that was a beautiful way to end it. I think, um, you know, unless you had some further thoughts or ideas that you wanted to express before we uh, close it out. Awesome. Um, no, it's been really great. Thank you for letting me think about these things and express them, Adam. It's, um, it's really great coming on. And I, I highly recommend anyone else to go through this experience as well. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad, uh, you know, uh, you felt comfortable to talk to me about all this. Um, cause mo you know, most people, this is a, you know, these are close to the heart issues in some sense, you know, like they're very, uh, they can be very touchy, you know, like, uh, you know, each person has, uh, sort of like this untold backstory and, you know, it could be, uh, you know, horribly tragic. It could be beautiful. It could be, you know, it could be a number of things, you know? And so I, yeah, I just, thanks for coming on and uh, being willing to to talk about it with me. Um, if people wanted to find um, more of you, more of your work, um, uh, where, where could they find you? Yeah. Uh, best place to, uh, to learn more about what I do is climactic.fm. 
Um, that's like the opposite of anticlimactic. It's my mm -hmm. network about uh, shows that are engaged with the climate crisis or just these climactic, interesting times we live in. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for myself personally, if you go to podchaser.com, which is pretty cool, it's like the IMDB of podcasts. Uh, and you just search my name, Mark Spencer, I'll pop up and hopefully we'll get this episode listed as one of my appearances, but all my others are there as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, Adam, and all the best. Thanks for taking the time to watch this episode of Will Work for Purpose. If you found anything here interesting, you can always leave a comment below or email me at mosley at tweakingo.com. Uh, if you were watching this podcast on YouTube, you can find uh, audio versions of it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else major podcasts are found. Uh, so thanks for watching, and uh, we'll see you in the next one.